Hey everyone, this is Justin and Nico from Fane, and you're listening to Concerts That Made Us. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. episode i'm joined by justin and nico from canadian metal band fane this is a long one so you're going to hear just about everything there is to hear about the band i really enjoyed doing this episode and i know you're going to love it too so without further ado let's get on with the show
Justin and Nico, you're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us. Thank you for having us. It's great to have you. This one was requested by a listener, so I'm excited to uh, to hear all about your music. We opened the show with Empath, which you released in 2021. It was created in tandem with Hubris as a standalone project. Can you tell us about it? So the concept of the two songs, you know, originally when we had started demoing these songs, I had written a first draft of lyrics that didn't really tie in with ultimately what the concept of the music became. And then throughout the pandemic, when we were locked out of our studio, when we were sent to our homes, we were doing the full production of the songs. And uh, I had finished the lyrics then and recorded the vocals then. And uh, those two songs started to tie together uh, lyrically with uh, video concepts that we had started thinking about uh, that we were going to bring to our video, uh, like our, our music video team, uh, once we wanted to do uh, the videos for these songs. And they're basically kind of a yin and yang relationship uh, exists between these two songs uh, with empath kind of displaying and also talking about kind of the good sides of, of humanity and human nature and, you know, what it means to have compassion and empathy and sympathy and, uh, you know, love for people. Whereas hubris kind of dives into, uh, you know, the behaviors and feelings that we show other people when we give into, you know, temptation and hatred and division and fear. Um, and these are like things that, you know, bands have talked about like for ages now. Um, but I, I would definitely enjoy putting our own unique spin on it with the video concept that followed uh, the release of the music. Um, that basically sums up like what the songs talk about broadly. And uh, the videos actually allow the two songs to be open to interpretation. So we've heard a lot of really cool theories about what the songs are talking about and what they're trying to represent as a message. Um, but ultimately it comes back to each song representing one side of the duality of uh, of being a human being and choosing between right and wrong and good or bad or what have you. Yeah, yeah. And from the start, did you set out knowing there would be a stand standalone or did you kind of realize halfway through, right, this needs to be a standalone kind of project? It, uh, it definitely showed all the symptoms and signs of being a standalone project early on. However, I don't think we noticed them at that point in time. Uh, when we had finished our full length that came out in 2018, we started working on these songs. And uh, the, original, the instrumental demo for Empath was the first one that um, was, was made following that full length album. And then we kind of just started to see where we would go with, you know, writing the songs as the inspiration comes and then doing our due diligence to refine the parts. and you know, make sure that we can bring out the potential and the ideas that we have. Um, and then the realization that we kind of had two songs that represented a very unique period of time for us as a band as well, uh, conveniently lined up with the fact that the pandemic hit and we weren't allowed to continue making and working on music together anymore. So we had to sit through, you know, those three, four, five months of, you know, isolation and difficulty, you know, accessing the businesses needed to, you know, 
further record music and further work on music. And as time went on and we were able to, you know, work with our film team during the restrictions to actually put a visual to the music. But it had been such a period of time since we had written those songs and to where we were at at that point. And as we were discussing the videos and how we were going to make the two songs tied together visually, I think that's when we sat down and like kind of just acknowledged that maybe this is just like a unit in itself. And it's kind of just like a timestamp of this chapter of our band and we should release it as that. So that's what we did. And it's available on vinyl through your band camp. Was that something you were consciously kind of working towards? You wanted to put out something on vinyl? Uh, we've always That's played with a little idea. dream of mine. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Nico, Nico uh, definitely pushes the, uh, the, the vinyl aspect. Uh, the, the idea of it was definitely pushed a lot by Nico at the beginning because he's a, he's a collector and you could talk about your collection and stuff like that, but he he really like you know is very savvy in the world of vinyl and you know the clientele and the community of people that exist in that community. Um, so you know we we were like hell yeah let's let's go for it and and print something. And Nico, if you want to elaborate on how that worked out, I just uh, I was like I've always wanted like a record with our band name on it, you know, like and I think. Uh, with the like resurgence of uh, vinyl and all that in the last couple of years, I was like, man, like now's the time to do it, especially with, uh, with the pandemic and the lack of shows and, uh, everyone seemed to be, uh, finding another way to support bands. So, uh, rather than be like, because we couldn't play shows, we figured, you know what, let's release these songs. Let's get some physical media to people and, and, you know, like work more online than live because we couldn't you know so uh so we kind of switched gears and uh thought it was a good opportunity to to try it out and i i'm i'm happy with uh the way it worked out like they they look sick and uh, it's like it's a nice piece of art you know like uh, i really like the vinyl thing yeah and what was the reaction like from fans then especially in particular the vinyl i mean we got a lot of reaction yeah no negative uh, well, no <laughs> with the vinyl with the videos honestly uh overall it was a pretty good reaction like uh we like uh, justin said before we had some interesting theories that uh on what the videos meant uh we got like good feedback on the vinyl uh the way they looked or whatever sounded so i mean we can't complain <laughs> no it was uh it was a really positive response uh even to like, you know, the limited audience that we have as a, as a independent metal band from Canada, there was uh, still like really good reception and some new names and faces, even comments and, you know, asking for one that I had never seen before. And uh, that was, that was exciting, you know, and uh, everyone really appreciated like the work that went into, uh, you know, the design and the, the pattern chosen for each variant, because we have two different variants that had come out um and both of them are we we pretty much got like a very close to even demand for both of them i think the bone splatter one there was definitely a little bit more popular but we have this like green and yellow uh like almost like fluorescent color like smashed one as well that like people adamantly chose over the bone splatter one as well so i mean i think we we had something for everybody um 
And that, that was really cool. It's definitely something uh, that we'll, we'll love to continue to do as time goes on. Brilliant. And when it comes time for you guys to make new music, then what does that process look like? Do you kind of lock yourselves away to write lyrics, come up with the, the music? Not necessarily. No, I don't think we have the luxury of doing that, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, I mean, we all have full-time jobs and two of us have families with children. Um, we're all we're all getting old and, you know, we have to abide by certain other obligations that we have as well. But we do make the time to uh, at least a co- at least two days a week to meet up and discuss things and see, um, you know, what our next plan of action is. Um, the process so far has been uh, kind of choosing a day on the weekend to go and produce, um, like uh, to, to go and work on like a song idea that's already been presented to us. So our lead guitarist, Alex, will come up with just a, a demo that could even just be like a mishmash of riffs. And he'll put like some program drums over it and he'll send it to us on our group chat. And we'll we'll listen to it. And I think once we have like, about a handful of them, like seven, eight or nine, we start working on like the production on the ones that we know are going to be obvious choices for actual songs. We used to, in the past, we would record drums like at a, at a studio, but I think this time we're going to be doing them um, at our homes, namely our drummer's home, since uh, we used to have a jam space and now we practice in our drummer's basement now that we've bought a house. So we're probably going to uh, create a good situation acoustically in the basement to start not only pre-producing, but maybe even doing the actual production of some of the tracks that are coming up. Um, While the drums are being done or being worked on with that demo, uh, we start to do vocals as well. So we'll take a day like Sunday or something where uh, we pull up the demo and then we'll start recording the first pass of vocals over it. Uh, screaming and queen singing. Um, and then we'll kind of sit on it for a week and you kind of, which, you know, I feel like you kind of have to do uh, lay your first idea down. You know, if you can get a full song done and get a full song done, then that's incredible. But whatever idea you do have at the moment, uh, whatever, however long your first pass of the song is, lay it down and then give it at least three days before you start to like, you know, it starts to intoxicate your brain and you hear it over and over again. And once you hear it over and over again, it's really easy to point out the things that you don't like or that you think would be better because you start to hear, you start to get different ideas or things you could have done differently. And then after that three to five day wait, you know, revisit it and make your adjustments. And if it works, cool. If it doesn't, back to the drawing board and you rinse and repeat until you get there. You know, the band was originally formed in 2004. The current lineup has been together since 2017. I'd love to hear how the band originally formed and then what led to the reshuffle. Uh, uh, well, the band, I guess, I mean, we, it started as uh, with me and me and Alex have been friends like since we were young, young children. So even before we even played music and uh, I guess we we started uh, playing guitar, both of us, uh, then uh Obviously, you start playing guitar, you want to join a band. So we started making covers and then we started writing originals. Once we started writing originals, like we, you know, we got some friends in the band, started playing shows. Uh, and then, uh, long story short, a couple of years later, uh, our lives took us uh, elsewhere and we stopped it for a little bit. 
and uh, finally uh, there was a band that started me and Justin actually both weren't there when it restarted uh, it came to fruition with uh, our old singer uh, playing with uh, Carlo our current drummer and uh, he invited Alex to play and then uh, slowly but surely we just came back asked me to play and then uh, and then Justin joined the band so um, and here we are so I mean uh, we so it's it's more of a family thing like uh, like we're all very good friends too so um, I don't know I guess it's something we've always been linked to together and uh, enjoy doing together and it just keeps bringing us back I don't know yeah, yeah. Kind of sounds like something that even if you tried, you probably wouldn't be able to give up. It, it's uh, it's tough. Like uh, it's it, it's it's something that's like almost ingrained in you at this point. You know, we like me and Alex have been playing music together since I was like thirteen years old. So, uh, and we both have families now, and we still do it. So, uh, yeah, it's tough to like imagine the day where you're just not doing it anymore like even if it's not uh you know like playing shows uh we're not playing 300 shows a year but you know like we, we still love to do it so something i'd love to hear is how does a band at your level you know an independent band go about getting their music out there and heard by new listeners it's a it's a process and it's an ever-changing process because I, i've been doing this since i was 15 years old and 16 years later uh i've had to you know reinvent the wheel for how i release music over the course of my time doing this you know a dozen times over uh, the platforms keep changing the people and the contacts that you establish over the years keep changing because people's lives keep changing and um it's a it's a never end you you never stop relearning how to do it because in 10 years from now the the method that we have now uh, is going to be completely different. Um, so at the moment, and, you know, I mean, we use resources that are accessible by anybody. Um, you know, you have distribution labels, like in terms of just getting your music on the internet, like if we have to start there um, before you even promote it to anybody, you can't promote it to anybody if it's not out in public to be listened to. Right. So, I mean, it, it, it could be just as simple as uploading something onto YouTube. You know, if you don't want to pay distribution or, you know, pay to a company like, like TuneCore or DistroKid. And th these are companies that will get your music on Spotify and other streaming platforms, like in, including YouTube Music, Amazon, uh, Google Play, Tidal, Deezer, all those guys. Um, namely, Spotify and Apple Music in North America are kind of the two biggest platforms that are used spotify by a lot um so we tend to focus on spotify a lot more so basically we have like an, an account with a distributor and we upload our music with all the information that you need uh to this uh i guess this, this cloud drive that this distributor has of our account and when the schedule day comes you know the song goes up on spotify and apple music and all those platforms and once it's actually up there in terms of getting it to the public, there's a bunch of different things. Like social media is an extremely strong tool. Um, whether you're doing paid campaigns or whether you are scheduling posts, you know, 
strategically or in tandem with each other, you know, that's been one of the most popular ways to gain a new audience these days. Um, playing shows, you know, is the old reliable too. And you tend to find some really good fans at live shows because connection through live music is, you know, discovering an artist on Spotify versus seeing that artist in person and getting blown away by the performance. Like I don't really consider them to be comparable. Um, one has a way more significant kind of experience or has much more of a significant impact on me than, you know, getting the luck of the draw of discovering something on the internet. Like it's cool and it's really convenient, but it doesn't share like a, you know, a really powerful like method of connection with a listener. So I love to play shows. Um, that's, you know, a little difficult to do in Canada without crossing the border, unfortunately. So we do have to rely on social media a lot. So, I mean, we do social media campaigns and we schedule posts and we just talk about, you know, we talk about the releases. And then when we release the videos, you know, we schedule posts and content that talks about the videos and stuff too. And you reshare things, you know, week after week because not everybody sees everything that comes up on your feed. And it's a, it's a bunch of different things. Um, and like I said, it's like anybody can do it, you know. Um, it just takes, uh, you know, knowing your audience as well, too, you know. And actually talking, you know, engaging in conversations online with the people that are, you know, actually responding to your posts as fans is also a good way to retain those people, you know, and keep them as fans, you know. Like the closest thing you could do to establishing a personal connection with that person, aside from, performing for them in public in person so which you know that takes a little bit more time and work and dedication and you you know really have to apply yourself to engaging with people one-on-one -on -one online but uh it does have a really good roi let's say it pays off you know it's just demanding yeah yeah and um you know, 20 years ago, it was completely different when it came to getting your music out there. Do you think it's better these days? Because I know like everybody has a phone, everyone's looking at the internet these days, but it's almost like for creators, it's almost stacked against them. You know, if you have like 2000 followers, you put up a post, 20 of those followers might see it, you know? It's a catch-22, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh yeah. Like 20 years ago, you were handing out flyers, handing out mixtapes, you know, and playing gigs. And that's how people found your music. What do you think of the, the comparison from then to today? Definitely a different scene altogether. I feel like there was like 20 years ago, there was shows every day, like every day in Montreal, you could go see a show. Whereas now it's like they're fewer and far between. There's not as many venues. There's not as many tours happening. I feel like, uh, yeah, it is different. But like you said, it is a cash 22 because you, you have these followers online, but not everyone sees it. Whereas before you, you could play a show like any night of the week, people would turn out and, uh, well, so and here's, the thing, here's the thing about that. Here's the thing about that, right? Because like, you know, the internet being a tool that allows you to access everybody. And not just, uh, you know, not just the people like in your circle or in your surroundings or in your in your neighborhood, in your community. Like 20 years ago, things were really different because like the 
the distance that you could reach in terms of, you know, uh, getting people to know about, you know, shows or whatnot was a lot smaller or, you know, you would have to spend a lot more money and resources to actually advertise yourself or to get yourself in the eyes of people who were outside of your community. Now we have, you know, the internet and you can tell someone on the other side of the world who you are and what you're up to and what your plans are. But the catch, the catch 22 part is that everyone can do that. Mm. We can all do that now. So even though like the resources were a lot limited 20 years ago, there was a lot less competition and not to use it in like, you know, a vindictive sense or anything like that, but uh, just whether or not you're feel like you're competing with another band, everyone is fighting for someone's attention uh, when it comes to, you know, being visible online at, at least. So it's become just uh, really tough in that respect, like having access to all these amazing tools, but, you know, the attention span of the listener of a music consumer didn't scale with that. So everyone is now trying to fit in the attention span of, uh, that, that it's no bigger than it was 20 years ago. So just like the volume of music um, really just as a message to me says, like, you really have to stand out, you know, like, you know, in, in whatever way you think that is, like, whether it's like musically, like, having like mind blowing music and throwing a mind blowing performance or whether it's like visually as an artist, you're just mesmerizing to see whether it's on video or whether it's live, like you have to stand out in one way or another. Yeah. So yeah. True. True. That's the climate now, you know? Yeah. I can't tell you which one I prefer. Um, it was a lot easier to do it 20, like, you know, when we were much younger too, because uh, we're a lot bolder. <laughs> and we do a lot more stupider things and we don't think as many things through. So we just try things out. And sometimes things work in our favor just by luck of the drop. And we don't know why. Whereas like, as we get older, we become more cautious and we take less risk. And uh, we don't fall upon those lucky, like um, those lucky returns, I guess you can say. Yeah. Yeah. True. I suppose when you get a bit older, there's more consequences to being uh, a bit more bold, you know? Yeah, there, I mean, there can be, and that's what holds people back, right? Mm, yeah, 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 true. And now, before we dive into your own personal music histories, I'd love to hear a bit about your influences. You're pretty unique, you know, you don't just look to other bands. You're influenced by computer games, film composers, and visual artists. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big nerd. Um, I'm a big uh, video game and like comic book and manga nerd and stuff like that. I love that kind of stuff. Uh, I've been playing like Final Fantasy video games since I was a kid. Um, and the scores for those video games have always been incredible to me. So I hold them very dear and uh, I definitely get a lot of uh, ideas, um, especially for about like what I'm writing a song about. Like we have a there's a couple of songs coming up where lyrically I've written about like ideals that were presented to me in video games. And uh, I won't say what they are yet, but like uh, it was very, it was very inspiring to write about something that has that as a reference. And despite like listen, watching this stuff and playing video games my whole life, I never really used it as a direct uh, reference for inspiration to like my lyrics or, or music. 
So I've like, and I've very directly done that this time. So, and it's yielded pretty exciting results. And Alex is from the same camp as I, in that respect, our lead guitar player. He really likes, uh, you know, the Square Enix, the video game developer Square Enix, like, you know, their soundtracks and their, their musical composers as well. We take inspiration from that as well as like, trying to remember the name of the visual artist that Alex likes. Nico is, it's people. There we go. Um, I mean, we, I def- definitely like for the video side, we get a lot of like references for like the color and the tones that are used in the video from like our favorite movies or our favorite visual artists and designers, uh, graphic designers, I guess. Um, and musically, it tends to just change with the times. Like there's a couple of concrete influences that, you know, that we always like stick to or that you, like the contortionist and the misery signals like being two of those. Um, but like we'll take like little ideas and inspiration from kind of whatever medium of art we're consuming during that given period of time. So it's always subject to change. It really depends like what we're into. Uh, you know, like uh, Carlo could be into like a given TV series on Netflix and like bring ideas to the table about like a piece of music that he heard from this TV series. And like, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll toy with stuff like that uh, instead of just like constantly referencing like, okay, well, you know, this band that does this part in this song, like we make like a part like that that goes, like, you know, like trying yeah. to stray away from that and use like elements that come from other forms of art um, kind of keeps things fresh. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And Nico, what's your take on the influences? I mean, I think Justin's on point there. Uh, we like we we go all over the place. Like I I listen to so much stuff, like a lot of stuff that doesn't sound like us at all. But like uh, you know, you 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 see how you or you hear how how it could be appealing to anyone, and try, you try to like I don't know, like we don't try to like listen to a track like Justin says and be like, how do we sound like this band you know like how i don't do we think we've ever, yeah i don't think we've ever said like how do we sound like that band like uh, i don't know we just we, we we it's hard to say where we pull our musical inf- like influences from because they're all over the place like they're i mean i grew up listening to like 70s rock with my parents and uh like 80s uh uh like 80s music like Tears for Fears and the uh, Depeche Mode like crazy in my house. My mom loved that stuff, and I'll still throw it on now and then, you know. Like uh, and like I'm not always listening to metal. I'll I'll I which I do a lot, but I mean you know I'll throw on like a hip hop album every once in a while and just like change it up and see, um, you know it's what you're feeling the day and uh, like we stick to metal for the most part in our in our music but like we also have like our soundscapey stuff and like uh uh interludes more where uh, yeah more ambient stuff that to just kind of like we've never really thrown hip-hop in there but like i mean <laughs> actually you're wrong actually you're wrong there's i actually have a very uh a very extreme oh, example i think it's well, in, in hubris i think it's in, in hubris, hubris where you're super fast alex wrote uh, a part 
or like he he created a synthesizer layer for one part of the song that was inspired from a Kendrick Lamar song. Oh. Um, yeah, so he had, he had been on like a Kendrick Lamar kick. Um, so one of the synth pieces kind of has this like very similar like wishy-washy back and forth like synth pad sound that's in a Kendrick Lamar song. And I forget which one. Alex knows which one. Um, but like just as an unconventional example of like where a source of inspiration can come from for us. Like, I mean, there you go. It's, uh, and like, it could be, it could be something on the complete other end of the spectrum, like tomorrow, you know, yeah, and unexpected, which is fun. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. We'll um, dive into your own personal music history if you can can you remember your earliest musical memory earliest musical memory oh uh i used to make electric i used to make acoustic guitars out of kleenex boxes and elastics uh and stick and stick a uh cardboard tube of a paper towel roll like (laughs) through the side of one of them and i remember because there were photos and family tapes like from when I was two three years old just running around the house like strumming this thing <laughs> um, and then discovering my grandfather's guitar in my grandma's basement that he had originally bought from my mom but my mom didn't want to play it um, and that kind of just noodling with that whenever I'd go visit my grandma to eventually getting my own guitar in in high school and getting into metal music and hearing screaming for the first time and being like, Oh, what the heck is that? You know, <laughs> but my, my first concert was Carlos Santana, actually. Oh, really? My, my dad had taken me to see Carlos Santana. Yeah. Cause I was in my first year of like playing electric guitar and uh, I was learning Santana songs because uh, my dad would let me turn the amp up extremely high because he loved those songs. Whenever I was playing stuff that he didn't like, uh, you would have me turn it down very, very low. <laughs> but whenever it was something that he was like, you know, whether it be like Zeppelin or Santana or ACDC, he'd go, turn it up. Like, All right, Dad, <laughs> turn it up. So that was kind of, I was, I was like my grassroots experience uh, getting into music. And, and eventually, uh, actually, I chose the high school that I went to because I went to an open house of their music class demonstration. And none other high school, none of no other high school in the area at the time added. And I saw this just like music class demo of a guitar, bass, and drums playing the James Bond theme. Oh man. At the time I was like eleven years, eleven to twelve years old, and I was like, spies, yeah, very cool. <laughs> and uh, saw this demonstration and right away I think I told my parents, I was like, I want to go here. Yeah, don't and, blame uh, me. Six months later I had my first electric guitar and the rest is history. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> wanted to join a band almost immediately so i had done that not too long after playing guitar and i just kept joining bands until i found this one i see i see and uh nico what was your uh first uh, memory? for me i mean like uh i have a lot of uh like i remember being online like back in the day like my dad always had a computer and i remember like when the first like sites where you could like it was like a radio station online and I would find like 90s alt rock type things. And uh, 
like I remember uh, with Alex, actually, we were kids. Like I'm, we're, I must have been under ten for sure, like eight, seven, eight years old or something like that. And with our brother, we both have brothers. And uh, I remember like air drumming, and like air, like we were an air band, no <laughs> instruments, and we were like we would play music in the room, and all of us would have our own instrument, and we would like pretend to be a band, like we were super young. And uh, uh, man, after that, like. Uh, like my first concert was 311 when I was like 12 years old. And after that, I just never stopped going to concerts. Like from when I was 14 and on, uh, I was like at a concert almost every week till I was 20, just nonstop, always going to concerts. It was, uh, I mean, it played a huge role in my life uh, growing up. And like Justin, like I was like 12, got a guitar and I just never really stopped. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, before we get to your concert experiences, what was your local music scene like when you were growing up? Oh, it's it sucks to say it now, but I think we refer to it. I refer to them as the good old days for very valid reasons. It was wild. Yeah, it was actually yeah, it was wild. It was great. Like we had a great scene in Montreal. Uh, well, I mean, there's still a great scene in Montreal, but I mean, Growing up in that in in that time in that scene, like you would see the same faces over and over again, like at at concerts all the time. Uh, it was a very uh, small like capacity venues with like bands that play like arenas, not well, not arenas, but like you know huge club shows now, mm. where you're you're seeing them in like a two hundred capacity venue and like like man, uh, it's just some crazy shows like. Uh, and it was, I, I felt like it was a great team. Like, that's why I, I guess I just kept going back. <laughs> it was, it was very, it was very cool. Like, it, it, you know, it was, of course, it was smaller than, uh, so everything was a lot more close knit. You know, everybody knew everybody, uh, you know, the biggest, the, the, the biggest promoter in our city now who does all the big metal shows, you know, like he was just starting back then. So you know, everyone was like really young and really driven and in the early stages of the professionals that they have become today, especially like, you know, the promoters and the booking agents and stuff like that. You know, the guys who were around back then who have stuck through it and, you know, continue to do it today, you know, they now have, you know, any any connection they need in their back pocket to make really cool concerts happen. So we have, you know, the capacity to have like you know pretty much bring in any act that we want to because of all that groundwork that was done by you know a really young and motivated scene you know 15 20 years ago you know if it weren't for the work that was done then we we wouldn't have what we have now mind you the faces are a lot less like frequent you know there's always like a new group of people at every show that i go to whether it's like i go to one like six months from now or I go to one next week there, you know, there's just like, it's like what we were talking about before, like the volume is just like increased so much, like not only in like the bands that are available and that you could like, you know, that you can discover, but because like all these bands are accessible to so many people, you know, there's just so many more people going to shows. Um, like it's, it's crazy. So there's just like, there's a lot less of like, seeing the same familiar faces over and over again because it's just like a sea of 
you know, people that you've never seen come to these things before, you know, going to these concerts now. Um, and which is, you know, that's healthy for the bands and it's healthy for everybody, but it's also like it removes the, uh, you know, that exclusive community kind of feeling that I felt we had when we were teenagers, you know, like we kind of felt like it was our, our, our little world within the world, you know, it was cool. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, that's something I've noticed as well. It's like when you go to a gig nowadays, there's such a wide range in, of people in the audience. Whereas I feel like when I was younger, it was just like the metalheads or, you know, the grunge kids or, or proper yeah. rock people, you know, in the scene. Yeah. But now it's like the last show I went to, there was actually more of a percentage of people that would look more at home in the pop scene than at a rock show, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah just like simpler looking folks you know uh <laughs> yeah. you know uh our, our you know our, our communities back then were known for you know our appearances making some sort of a statement mm. or what have you a statement of counterculture or a statement of you know independence or whatever or uh, and you know as fashion has evolved with music you know like a lot of these things have cross-contaminated and, uh, you know, I know regular guys who listen to heavier music than I do, who look much like they don't, you know, um, and vice versa, you know, like, uh, you got guys now who look like, who look like traditional metalheads and they only listen to trap music. You know what I mean? Like it's, uh, it's just like everything is, everything is everywhere and everyone is being influenced by everything now. And it's cool to see, but it's also like, it's just a lot of information coming at you at once all of the time and definitely hard to process, you know, but what choice do we have? That's it. That's it. And your concerts, concerts you've attended, what ones do you think have made you? Oh boy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was, I'm I'm a big Slipknot fan. So the first time I had seen them, I was very, very, it was definitely a very important moment for me. Uh, first time seeing Lamb of God too, another big favorite. Um, my first heavy music concert was Linkin Park, if we want to put them in the the heavy the heavy category, back when like Meteora had come out. Hmm. So that was, uh, that was definitely like my introduction into like, you know, Seeing people, seeing a, such a, a big group of people appreciate, you know, this genre of music that I used uh, when I just wanted something that was for me. You know what I mean? Uh, it was like my thing that I didn't share with anyone because growing up, there weren't a lot of people that, you know, I had that taste in common with. Um, so finally seeing, you know, what my taste was in this giant arena with 60,000 people in it. And then, you know, getting the motivation to kind of start to pursue it after that. Um, that was definitely one that kind of shifted the gears. It's kind of hard to fall on which one do you think makes you like after so many. Of them. It's yeah. a tricky. It's a good question. You kind of got me stumped. Um, <laughs> you know, as a kid, like your first experience of anything is going to leave an impression on you. You know, as it's supposed to, Uh, you know, definitely my first heavy concert, my first big outdoor music festival, like first 
Warp Tour when we had them here in Canada. They would only come to two cities in Canada. They come to Toronto and Montreal. And sometimes they would skip us altogether. Um, but I remember seeing my first one in, I think it was 2006, and seeing all these emo bands that, you know, as, a, as an eighth grader, as a 14-year-old, you know, like you're hearing it for the first time and like you're just like super excited because it's also like what's making you all these new friends. Mm. And then you go to this concert that has like 60 of those bands playing and you're going with all these people that are your friends now. And it kind of just, it's kind of just watching your, the, the community of the genre of music like be created around you for the first time. And then, under, and then understanding that this world exists or that, that that part of the world exists. So definitely like those first experiences were super, super important. And, uh, you know, every time you go see Meshuggah too, it's going to, it's going to be amazing. (laughs) 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 That's a very unique experience. I kind of feel like as well, you know, especially those first festival days, as you mentioned, you're making new friends, but it's also like, you're kind of, and something you touched on as well, like most people that listen to heavier music, I feel like start off in the room. Maybe they're going through something and the music speaks to them. And then, as you said, you go to a concert, you realize you're not the only person in the world that this happens, that there's more people. Then you find your community. And I feel like those early festivals, early concerts kind of make lasting memories that really impact your life going forward you know to kind of mold you into the person or at least help mold you into the person you're going to be yeah yeah absolutely you uh you said it in a much smoother way than i was trying. (laughs) 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 i'm just like shit what am i trying to say uh yeah no but that but that's just it though it's that like you know that those experiences set the bar for you know my oh, for sure. Like I remember my first heavy show. Yeah, I remember my first heavy show. I remember my first festival. I remember like all of those things. And I've I've been to like a dumb amount of concerts, but those still stick out like even to this day. And like I find even like the more smaller intimate shows always have like a like a bigger impact on me. Like of bands that like you know would eventually become whatever legends. But uh, you know like when you get to see like a a band that you you would consider a big nowadays and like with 50 people around you and you're just like man this is sick like and i don't know that just like always left a mark on me for sure like uh, bring me the horizon at linko with like 60 other people there oh man that's crazy yeah, the yeah. first time in Canada. Like I, 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 the, like, I remember the show where I, uh, it was Every Time I Die, As I Lay Dying, and Black Dahlia Murder, and there was like 100 people there. <laughs> and it's like like these fucking legendary bands, and like there's like, well, they're, all, they're all just starting out, you know, too, and it was just wild times. Like, like mm-hmm. I'll, that was just a sick show, like, uh, and so many other ones, like, uh, man. Seeing that. my my first heavy concert was like Norma Jean and Beloved, in that same venue, and I was just like, I, I was just blown away. I was like, what what is even happening here? Like, this is uh, it was on another level, and it marked me. And I just kept going back, and I just loved it. Yeah, it does it definitely marks you? Yeah, definitely, definitely. One I just thought of off the cuff is: is there a concert experience you have 
that would kind of be your favorite memory that had nothing to do with the band or the music you'd went to see? Oh, man. Honestly, it's, uh, uh, like, which experience can I, which experience can I talk about that I could say on a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> This is not good for the internet. <laughs> oh, this is a crazy one. Nico, you seem closer to your answer. Yeah, than I, am. I think uh, one that comes to my mind anyways is uh, the, the last Dillinger shows where like I was going because I was like, man, I can't I can't miss a last opportunity to go see Dillinger. So I went to New York to go see them. And uh, it was just the the like the community of people like was even more surprising like how many people came from so many different places to see these shows like people came from europe people came from all over the states all over canada like i I, people i had only spoken to online and like you know never met in real life i met a bunch of people where it was just like man this is awesome like everyone actually came out and saw this which you know i i didn't go for the community thing but it was like a secondhand result of it you know Yeah, yeah which was awesome uh, I definitely had uh, very fun experiences like traveling for concerts. Oh, yeah. Just to go, to, you know, traveling to go see one. Like I went to New York City to see like a hip hop concert in Central Park uh, a few years ago, uh, I think in 2018. Um, and just like the ex- the experience that existed around that event, um, you know, everything everything that came to pass and happened to me as like a side effect of going to see that concert uh just kind of added to the whole experience which you know revolved around going to that show um just like last year we we drove down to connecticut my my girlfriend and i drove down to connecticut to go see knock loose and uh kublai khan and movements and it was uh just like the whole experience of you know going to see a concert in another city is is kind of interesting too because you get to see how they're seen and their crowd behaves and kind of compare them to your own yeah true actually yeah yeah they kind so of expand your world now that you yeah sorry now that you mentioned uh, traveling uh, like i remember being young and like my dad was really cool with that uh he brought me to like uh, toronto at least twice uh once with alex to see uh actually both times with alex uh to see like uh we, the first time we saw weezer and then uh, we saw like uh, my chemical romance and the used and finch it was like tours that weren't coming to Montreal and like that experience again, like, like, you know, just having, uh, you know, somebody, uh, bring you going with your friends, like one of your best friends when you're young, it's impressed, like you're impressionable. And, uh, it definitely leaves a mark on you too. Like, uh, traveling. I, I love traveling for shows and that's maybe part of the reason why I like also traveling to play shows <laughs> and, you know, like the road trip, like that. And like the, you know, the, the things that happen on the, like the road trip itself, you know what I mean? Like, the show is fun, but like the the times with, a, with the guys in the in the van is also awesome too. Like you know, you try to make the best of it. It kind of does suck sometimes when you're like in the middle of a storm or whatever, or a long night, overnight drive. But you know, you you try to make the best of it. That you guys have, we we laugh, we make jokes in the van, and just you know, it's it's like uh it, it's one of the for me anyways like an enjoyable part of the concert experience too is like getting there the traveling thing i totally get that because i'm always saying like even going on vacation for me the vacation starts the minute you get in the car to go to the airport exactly. and yep. just 
the trip up there so enjoyable as well just the anticipation of what the vacation is going to be like and it's the same for concerts yep. you know and we'll move on to your own gigs that you've played what gigs as a band do you think have made you definitely our album release in 2018 was a kind of like a, a milestone for our current lineup uh i was in the band for only about a year at that point as the new singer and they had been sitting on these songs for a couple of years now and you know once i finished putting the words to the music and put the album together and do the music videos and set the release dates and all that um once all that was done we were waiting to do the release show um which i think we worked harder on we 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 all worked harder on than we had anything before uh just making sure that people knew about it making sure that you know you knew where to get tickets and you know you knew who was playing and uh that you know that we kept just like raising the hype for the show and trying to get people excited and you know and we did just that you know i think we sold out the room at one point they uh, we had to close the doors <laughs> so and we have some really memorable photos from that night so that was uh and that was also you know like our 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 community our city and our family and friends like coming to support too and you know helping us you know have a successful show like that we've also had some really good experiences like outside of uh you know away from home too there might be some from before i was in the band that i don't know about but for me uh that album launch show that we did was really really cool um and we had some really fun shows before the pandemic had hit um, where we did a couple of runs during the summer throughout uh, Ontario and Quebec, doing some tours with some bands that are from out there uh, and just like created super fun, ex- super fun memories and experiences, you know, with, like with, with new friends and whatnot. And that, those are really fun when you get to like tour with a bunch of friends, even if it's for like a weekend or three or four days or whatever. And, you know, just it's just four days of chaos, actually. <laughs> very four days of very fun chaos. Sounds fun. Sounds fun. And Nico, what about you? What uh concerts have made uh, you? I mean, I I agree with Justin that I think our record launch show was uh one of our better ones, like the one that we've thrown and like you know, we put together and uh you know made happen. Uh but also like playing with some of like some people like some bands that like you look up to like growing up or whatever like uh has also been like awesome for me like uh like just recently this year we played with misery signals and for me like playing with misery like that's a huge band for me and like i'm almost giddy at the fact that you know i get to watch them i i I just want to watch them like you know like it's it's for like shows like that uh like are awesome in my opinion like uh we also play with the contortionist uh we've played with uh some cool bands in, in uh over the years so uh we're definitely grateful for that uh uh opportunity to do things like that but uh yeah like just recently i would say definitely uh, misery signals was like one of my top uh favorite experiences like just getting to watch them and we and also play that show so uh and is like blew me away i've never seen them live before uh i've seen misery signals 
several times. I had, it's one of the bands that I had traveled to uh, Toronto to see as well, <laughs> even though I've seen them plenty of times in Montreal. Uh, um, but uh, and and was awesome. Uh, Misery Signals was awesome. We met a really cool band from Canada playing that show as well. So uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that that's one of them for me. Uh, the record launch show. And there's been so many, honestly, over the years. Like, uh, like, like in the first pass of uh, a fame, uh, twenty years ago, we had played with. Uh, like, I was still in high school. We played with Alex on Fire, in like oh, this man. small little venue, and they play like huge venues now. It doesn't even make sense. Like, so um, yeah, that, we had played with uh, Under Oath, uh, Hope's Fall. I mean, a uh, bunch of cool bands. So, uh, like opening gigs are, it's, it's a cool experience too, when you get to like see, uh, you know, uh, bands that you look up to and how they work and, uh, yeah. And, uh, what do you learn from playing with bands at that level? You learn to be on time. You learn to be on time. Uh, no, you, uh, I mean, like you get insight on, you know, like, what level of equipment, you know, the acts that, you know, are touring at the level that everyone wants to be at, uh, you get, you know, you get more familiar with like the standard of, you know, professionalism, uh, you know, for people that are on the touring crew and for people that are, you know, the agents that are running the show and the promoters that are running the shows, you kind of get to see how a professional show works and how it's supposed to be timed out. And, you know, obviously the more, the more you do it, the more it kind of just becomes ingrained and part of like, you know, a habit, you know, like at this, at this point, it's like down to a science for us, <laughs> but uh, it's, you know, it, and it's also nice because it kind of validates the progress that you've made as a band, you know? Yeah, true. And every band can say like, you know, like the first, first show offer that they ever got with like, you know, a big touring act and you're opening the bill. That's like, you always have many adjustments to make after that first experience, you know, like it, it kind of, it, it humbles you, you know, unless you have like, you know, the insight and the education from someone who has done this before, uh, every band's first rodeo opening on a big bill, uh, you, you tend to learn a couple of things v- very quickly too, because you don't want to make things run late, you know? Yeah. Or not get the opportunity again, you know, it's like uh, you, it's already it's fixed a very it fragile thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very fragile thing. If, if you screw up twice, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you don't really want to get a name for uh, ruining a show or being kind of lazy. Yeah, or you, whatever. Don't, you don't want to be known for being difficult to work with. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be known for being difficult to work with. So you get, you know, a peek into the world of like professionalism. And, and mind you, like not every professional band is professional or works with a team that is professional. That also happens inevitable um and unfortunately sometimes it ruins the perspective you had of a band that you look up to um but for the times that it doesn't it gives you some interesting insight on like things that you could tweak or things that you can improve and it also you know once you do it again in the future after making those tweaks you know it also validates the work that you do and you know allows you to feel a sense of accomplishment for you know your adjusting to the you know situation once you take that experience and go and throw your own show and have it run slow, have it run that smoothly, you know, it's very satisfying, especially when you get to keep the money. 
<laughs> Fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. And from a performance point of view, for any of the listeners that haven't caught one of your shows, what could they expect? A lot of me jumping around. I mean, we're not the most like performative, showy band when it comes to you know, like costumes or like a look or a gimmick or something like that. At the moment, we're uh, definitely more of like a band that you can go see live and like close your eyes and listen to the music, even in like the live environment. We definitely, when we started writing songs like Empath, we definitely wanted to give off that kind of a, uh, that kind of a vibe for that kind of a performance. But we are working on uh, improving the visual side of the performance as well. Not through like costumes and, and you know, like a look or like, you know, uh, stage like gimmick or whatever, but we're something, something visually that's going to be nice and mesmerizing to watch. Like as you're watching the band play the music, something that's going to like pair with the type of music we make. I see. I see. Hopefully now I'll at some stage get to get over there and catch one of your shows anyway and see what it's like. So hopefully and, we get to get over there and play some shows on yeah, that. Band on that too. I think I prefer that. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> you stay right where you are. We're coming. Yeah, exactly. We're coming. <laughs> and we've heard about the gigs that have made you. I always say you need to hear about the good with the bad. So from your entire career now, <laughs> is there a gig that you would say was the worst and how did you deal with it? Man, I just think oh, we had our worst one like a few months ago. <laughs> so I, I got, uh, I mean, I got, I got assaulted during a sound check uh, nice. back in December. Uh, I was just sound checking, and uh, we were playing this bar uh, at, in this like small town in Quebec, uh, like about an hour and a half out from Montreal. And uh, this old guy, just like you know, a regular at this bar. Uh, comes up to me like maybe like a few inches from my face and is just shouting at me in like very angry French talking about how uh, I'm making too much noise before 6 p.m. and I'm breaking a bylaw <laughs> and yeah but like literally like shouting and spitting in my face and uh, you know I started smiling because it was going to stop me from you know choking the guy <laughs> I turned to I turned to Nico who's holding his guitar and he looks like he's about to take it off and beat the guy with it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then the owner had to come and like usher him out the door and, you know, kick him out of the venue. So the rest of the night after that was just absolute pandemonium. Uh, I think we played in a very poor neighborhood, a uh, very low income neighborhood that day because everybody who was at that bar I think was high on something that they didn't get at that bar. Nice. Uh, and it seemed like, it seemed like a bunch of people who had gotten, you know, uh, like their welfare checks on the first of the month and were having, you know, <laughs> kind of just like, you know, kind of just their night to go and splurge at their, you know, their watering hole, you know? Yeah. I think we interrupted that kind of event and uh, it kind of just created like a storm of like, really fucked up people uh, even the owner of the bar who lives above the bar almost fell down his own stairs walking up at the end of the night 
Right. And, uh, it was just, it was, a, it was a big mess. <laughs> it was, it was it a big mess. A, it sounds yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was quite a wreck. Uh, you know, we've had some other really interesting ones as well. We played in Quebec City in 2019, and there was just we were playing like an after party or like a a, a release show after party for a band that was playing next door, and like there was just fighting happening in the basement of the venue and out on the street in front of the venue. And there were cops everywhere pulling people over and handcuffing them and throwing them on the sidewalk. And I think we saw a guy like break out of the backseat of a cop car and try and make a run for it. And it was absolutely wild. And it took us until like 4 a.m. to finally get out of there. And so like, you know, once you're not playing, those events are like kind of fun to just like harmlessly watch off to the side. But like when you still haven't gone on stage yet and things are just at, like, you know, absolutely on fire around you, it's a bit worrisome, um, you know. And we've also had not, not necessarily bad concerts, but bad drives home or bad drives away from certain concerts, getting caught in snowstorms and almost flipping into ditches and, you know, and or mechanical issues and, you know, scary stuff like that, too, also tends to, like, kind of put a damper on the day, you know, especially when you've already been driving for nine hours and then you get hit with, you know, bad weather. And then yeah, all of a sudden, all everyone, yeah, all of a sudden, everyone's sweating bullets. And um, it, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sounds fun. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Things we do for music. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We definitely had a, like, you're talking about, like, us personally, like, uh, our band thing. Well, something that just just didn't go right with the gig. I've seen, like, I've seen, uh, like, I've I've seen, uh, I remember once, not to to put down the show at all, but, like, uh, I remember uh, seeing the contortionist, uh, once their backdrop fell right on the drummer. Like oh, man. The, they have like uh, this huge wooden thing that's like that's like behind the, the set. So as he's playing, he has the whole thing fall on him, and uh, that was like it. it, it like the, everyone had to stop for like a second, and they just went to the next track after because uh, I mean he couldn't couldn't continue. So like little things like that, not as disastrous as uh, Justin's, uh, but uh, what else? I don't know. Like we've played, we've played to like no one. Also, like we've driven out to to, to some places, and you're just like, well, I guess uh, it's like a glorified practice tonight. But uh, yeah, those are not those are never fun. No, those are not fun to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it happens. Uh, I've seen also like like Justin said, some fights where you're just like, man, what is going on over here? Like. Like usually, like for for me, anyways, music brings me out to like to be enjoyed and like relax, have a good night, have yeah, have a few beers. But like, I mean, I don't know. Like when it gets too wild, I'm just like, man, I don't even understand what's happening. Like <laughs> it's just uh, it's an unfortunate side of uh, of things sometimes that uh, just gets out of hand. Like I, I've seen it happen more than once too. But that's uh, crazy, man. The smaller the town, like the the farther away from like a major city you are, the if like you can the the crazier the potential the crowd has to be. Like <laughs> the wilder the the wilder the individual. Like I've played, those are as many shows, right? So 
when they do get a show, they're like, man, let's go unhinged. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, it's 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 pretty crazy, Uh, and definitely like the culture of like the rural area that you're in plays an impact on like that showgoer's personality. You know, like uh, there's a big, you know. Montreal has a very diverse group of people uh, that come from all over the world and all walks of life. And, you know, everyone has a lot of things that are different between them, but also a lot of things that they have in common. So when everyone gathers for the common purchase of that show um, in a big city, everyone tends to put their cultural differences aside and enjoy the show. But when you're in a rural area where everyone's the exact same, you tend to get this hive mind behavior where like, so if there's like one heckler in the audience that won't shut up, like chances are there's 10 more. Like it's just, it's just the phenomenon that I've seen Mm. the farther away from big cities I go, the more the crowd behaves like a single entity and not just like, like, so like one person, one person's behavior is just intoxicating. So you can have like really dead crowds where just no one gives a crap or you can have like crowds that you can't control, which is scary in the other direction. Like yeah. sometimes it can be really nerve wracking. So, Jeez. yeah. <laughs> lovely, lovely. And when it comes to... Uh, <laughs> when it, um, We're going when it... out great. <laughs> Oh, and when it comes to touring, I feel like listeners and fans have a certain perception in their mind, you know, to have this idea of the rock star life, let's say. But as an independent band behind the scenes, what's it really like? Man, it's whatever the budget allows you to get. Like, it's, it really does boil down to that, you know, like uh, we did a we did a couple of weekend warrior runs in November and December. And for one of those weekends, all the shows were far enough away from home that we decided to get an Airbnb. And because it was only like a couple of shows, we were like, eh, you know, if we were to do 10 shows in a row, we wouldn't be getting an Airbnb every night at our level. That's just, it's just simply not feasible. Um, it's too expensive. Um, like the reality is that you hope that you have friends in every city that you go to who has like, you know, at our level, a place that has like, you know, a couch or a floor to sleep on and somewhere to shower. At the very least, a driveway to park the van. Um, we, we, we played out in Toronto one time and we went back to a buddy's place uh, to crash. And the other band that was on tour with us, they just parked their van in his driveway and slept in their van. And they were like, fuck, it's like the safest we've slept like in such a long time jeez like yeah at the very early stages it's pretty perilous and a lot of people wonder why you put yourself through it um Mm. it can be you know when you pair that with people not showing up to some of the shows in the earlier days it's a it can be very discouraging and it's why a lot of people stop but it's like it's like nico said like when we like are just like joking around together in a van for like six hours that's like part of the experience that is enjoyable you know and yeah it's not maybe paying us you know money but like it's uh they're very fulfilling as experiences you know and uh, nice to feel that like 
camaraderie, doing that kind of thing, even if the thing bombs, you know, and if it allows you to be persistent, like eventually that persistence will pay, will pay off. You know, it will, it will come back. It's just a matter of when and not if, uh, at least that's my belief. So yeah, it's, it can be very difficult at the beginning though. You kind of, yeah, you definitely have puts hair on the chest, as I like to say. First time I'd around. So yeah. And Nico, what's your I mean, take on it? I think I think you just like if you're gonna be touring and if like that's what you wanna do and like just make sure you're doing it with people like you like. Because if you're not with people you like, like if you're just like at each other's throats all the time, like it's it, for for sure it's game over. Like there's no there's no way. Like you, you can't be it's like you're you become a family, right? So if you if you guys are at each other's throats, it's uh like it you have to just make sure that you get along with everyone in the band and you you because it's tough, man. It's not easy. Uh you do sleep on floors, you do uh like get shows where there's nobody. You drive a long time for uh you know an unexpected result at the end of it at the beginning. So uh yeah, you have to you have to be made strong and uh and not give up and not uh not be discouraged by uh you know one bad show or two bad shows or five bad shows, you know, you just have to keep saying uh fuck it one day we're and like you know, you keep playing shows and eventually you get like one of our record release shows where you sell out the place and you're just like, Man, that was freaking incredible. Like that's why you do it. Yeah, yeah. And you know, how do you guys measure success then? Well, it's definitely really important to be able to confirm that we're playing well um, and that what we're making, you know, is good and that we're performing it well and we're doing what we make justice. That's like, I don't think it's, I don't think success is just like, like a, like a flat plane. And it's just like, this is where success is. Like there are steps. stages to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's steps to it. and the amount of steps is just based on what's enough for you. So for some people, success is just being able to play those songs really well with your friends in somebody's basement. And that can be enough for somebody else. It could be doing that and being able to play in the community center down the street, you know, once every month or two months and have 20 of your friends show up. And then you all go to a bar together after, and that's like, you know, a monthly outing. Some people it's that, and some people it's a step further than that and so on and so forth, you know, for us, it's always nice to get responses from like new people who just like stumble upon our music and have something endearing to say, you know, it's, it's nice to hear that, our music influence somebody without it being forced upon them. You know, it's always, it's also satisfying to promote something to somebody and have the marketing actually work and get that person into a band. But it's always really nice to get like sincere and endearing feedback from, you know, strangers who are under no obligation to support you or who, you know, have not heard about you directly or indirectly a friend or, or whatever just kind of fell upon your stuff and then take the time out of your day to show their appreciation for your for your art for me that's a big one uh i remember like it was like eight years ago or something like that i had a guy message me in one of my old bands telling me that like 
my band's album got him through like suicidal episode. Oh man. And I was Jeez. like, Jesus Christ, like that's probably the most powerful feedback I've ever gotten. Like, and, and I'm still grateful to that person to this day and they're still here. So, you know, that's great. Um, so that kind of set the bar for me as like, I definitely define like those experiences as a level of success that I can be content with. I think it's really hard to keep doing music if you don't see success as a series of small victories. Because if you're just aiming for this one big thing and you don't regard all the small steps taken along the way as levels of success, then like success just starts to feel like something unattainable. And ultimately, when we feel that something's unattainable, we stop trying to go for it. Um, but I think it's definitely important to kind of take your stuff in stages. Definitely. Definitely. But in terms of like self-fulfillment, it's self-fulfillment for me is, you know, those messages, those experiences and those interactions. Well, that's worth more than, you know, the fame, the fortune or any other kind of success you could wish for, you know, when you know that you're touching someone like that with your music. Exactly. Like all those times that you get uh, someone come up to you after a show and just go like, man, that blew me away. I have, I have no idea. Like, you know, I came for the other band, but you guys like really blew me away tonight. And like, that would be a successful night, even if it's just one person where you're just like, man, they, we, we caught their attention or like, you know, we, like that guy, he felt it in him, you know, like I've, I've felt that feeling watching bands where I'm just like, man, this is so yeah. Success is not just monetary. It's, it's, uh, or, uh, or whatever, a play count or whatever you, it's not just one, uh, uh, visual aspect of it like there's so many things that like I don't think we all all of us have the same uh, measure of success either you know what I mean like I think we all see it differently but I think we've all learned to like be happy with the way we're doing things and like again like uh, like Justin said you know every small little victory is a step like uh, that you should be appreciative of, of you know like uh, it's hard to say but uh yeah, I don't know. I, I see it the same way as Justin. Like, uh, just having conversations with people uh, and uh, s seeing the way, like, our songs have affected them, good or bad or emotionally or whatever it is, uh, getting them through a hard time. Uh, those are always, like, successful. Victory. You're like, man, I like, like, okay, we're doing something right. Like, we're not just, like, playing notes in the wind, you know? Like, we're, like, people actually feel something from what we're doing we're we're getting an emotional yeah we're getting an emotional reaction yeah definitely nice when it resonates that's what you want it to do you know like the music that i love the most like affected me you know so i think definitely one of those steps of success like on that ladder should be making sure that your music is affecting people in, a, in the way that you want it to, you know, hopefully for good. <laughs> hopefully <laughs> your music's not inciting violence. <laughs> yeah. And as a, a follow-up question then, in 30 or 40 years time, you know, you need the Zimmer frame on stage, you're playing gigs in the nursing homes, you're at the end of your career. <laughs> you look back 
what needs to have happened for you to feel happy and fulfilled? I mean, if I could play a concert in the metaverse, that would be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) What needs to happen to be fulfilled? Oh, man. Like, if you asked me this question 10 years ago, I would have told you, like, I want to be, you know, playing 200 shows a year and I want to be on the cover of, you know, a revolver or freaking Kerrang or alternative press or, you know, or just, you know, just, just to be part of that circuit of bands that I bought ticket after ticket to go see, mm. you know? And um, now at my, at this point, like, uh, I have no problem being content with like carving out a, you know, carving out a path where this music can sustain itself and also reach like even just like a niche group of people who will keep coming back and who will keep appreciating the craft and not only watching us grow as performers, but grow with us as listeners as well, you know, which that's like the ultimate tug of war between fans and musicians, right? It's like when a band finally decides to flip the script and do something different, you have this cult following. It's like, oh, I liked you on your first record. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's uh, trying to get those fans to like evolve with you um, would be something really cool to accomplish. Uh, to kind of just, you know, create this, it would be nice to create like a community of people who grow with you, you know, even if it's, you know, you're doing, even if you're doing like a few shows a year, you know, you sell out the place. And I'm not saying like a 1000 person room, even if it's like a three, 400 person room, you know, you know, you've got like your niche fan base who continuously support throughout the years and continue to like what you do, even if you change or, you know, switch things up a little bit which sounds very unattainable but i don't i don't think it is i think it's i think it's possible it'd be hard but it's definitely achievable yeah a lot of people want that for like you know a fan base of thousands which i think is a little ludicrous i think it makes much more sense to hone in and create your people Find your people. Yeah, I just I just want to find my people. Yeah, yeah. And Nico, what about you? What needs to uh, happen for you? Um, honestly, uh, I don't know. Uh, like, I think, uh, man, I'm I'm like happy with what we've done. Not that I want to stop or think that we've achieved like our peak or whatever. You know what I mean? But um, like, I, I don't, I don't think uh we need something uh like i'm gonna look back on this in 30 40 years and still be stoked either way with whatever happens from like today even if it ends today you know what i mean like that that's the way i see it so i don't think i need like like i want to be stoked to show my grandchildren like the vinyl that we pressed this year and like be like look at what grandpa used to do and like listen to this and I'm like what the fuck is this <laughs> you know like I, I already think like like I already think uh, we've like we've done something 
pretty cool and uh, like uh, I, I I don't know I, I maybe it's like I do have more ambitions and I do want to do greater things and like you know but I'm the way I see it personally is like no matter what in 40 years I'm still going to be like stoked about this you know what I mean like I, I don't need uh, like yeah if we could play in front of like like a huge venue with 5,000 people that would be awesome you know but like I don't necessarily need that you know what i mean like it would be it would be incredible like i would do it and i would do it over and over and over again but like i mean uh and it would be great to look back upon but i'm i'm stoked with what we've done and like i have great memories that will last me forever and uh i don't know i'm just like that like uh, i'm trying to think of something but like I, the way i see it is just like i'm i'm proud of what we've done and like i like uh I'll always look back on these days or like the, the memories I've built with these guys and, and be stoked about it. So uh, I don't think I need a, 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 an event or something to happen or, you know, personally. Uh, Just to be clear, I'm also very satisfied with where we've come. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be at all. Like making me no, no, sound no, exactly. like I'm a little I, shit. No, 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 that's not what I meant at all. No, but I like, you know, like, um, I, but I don't also want to sound like, uh, you know, I'm satisfied. Like, I don't think you're ever satisfied either, right? So, uh, uh, so yeah, you have to be ambitious as well and like want more and and uh and strive for more. But uh I'll always be stoked with what we've done and you know. Right, right. And before we dive into the last couple of questions, what's your future plans? What's locked in place for you? Uh locked in place right now. Uh I think we've pretty much decided to sit down and write the next uh the next body of work. Uh, start working on the next body, next batch of songs, which have already been underway for a little while now. But now that we've gotten the holidays out of the way and we had a marketing campaign that we were doing with a PR company uh, over the course of the summer and into the fall uh, that we had just finished up right before Christmas. Uh, so once we finished that and then we let the holidays play out and we kind of got back together in the new year to kind of talk about what the next steps were, especially after the batch of shows that we had just done too. Uh, we decided that we we're going to sit down and work on some new music. And uh, I think we're all, I think we're all craving uh, some new tunes right now. So that's what's on the, the chopping block right now. And uh, no extensive touring is really in place yet. We're definitely going to, we're definitely like using the strategy where we're going to create a body of work. And before we release it, we're going to shop around and see, you know, what kind of collaborations and connections are out there, whether it be booking agents, management, uh, labels, stuff like that. And kind of just uh, play that field a little bit first, see if there's any bites. And if not, okay, time for plan B and, uh, you know, go through with an independent release and then, See what kind of see the shows we could do with that, and it's rinse and repeat. <laughs> it's uh, you know, but right now we're writing. We're gonna be writing. Good to hear. Good to hear. Is there? I know it's very early days, but is there an expected date that fans could look forward to to hear something? I can't even say. 
<laughs> I, can't even, I can't even no it's not that i'm keeping like a secret or anything it's just like i literally don't know um there's it's very early like you said um we would definitely like to have something out within the next year i don't think we're going to make people wait more than a year for uh for the next for at least a new song um I think with this upcoming body of work, we're definitely going to try and apply ourselves more than we've ever had into like honing the craft and perfecting the music and really trying to create something that's different and that's exciting. Um, but that also still sounds like us. Um, I think we definitely started to find our direction when we wrote Empath and Hubris, we definitely seemed to find like the style of, we definitely, we definitely found something that they were very comfortable playing and that we understand people really like when we do it. So we want to see how much we can elaborate on, you know, the sounds and the ideas that we used in those songs and also try and come up with something that evolves from that. And we're getting there slowly but surely. Good, good. Right, we'll, uh jump into the last couple of questions everybody gets these i'm afraid so you can't get off the podcast till you answer if you could see any performer from history in concert for one night only who would it be that, like so so i guess it's like somebody who i can't see now that hmm. like um and honestly like just like not because like they're a huge influence on me or whatever uh at all but like just to see like the folly of like people in the 60s going like to like, a Beatles concert like what the fuck was happening like I think like just seeing something like or like Woodstock you know like the first Woodstock like something like that uh with like all these legends like just being at something like that would I would say is probably uh you know because I've seen like I don't know a, a lot of freaking bands from now from nowadays you know so if I would have to go back, I would say like, yeah, something like Woodstock from from the sixties, just to see like what what it was like, and like not necessarily a performer, but like more that whole experience of being there and seeing like how how it was back then. You know, I guess like every era has their their uh, their festival or their like like what we were talking about like twenty years ago. We had our little scene or you know like the, the little clicks. Uh, so like it's, it would just be interesting to see and go back into that time and and see like what was happening at that concert and like uh that festival and just i don't know I, I think that's something that pops up to me where it would be like man that would be that would have been crazy to be there you know yeah would have at been least in that time like that's that's what you know like that's all there, there was no metal shows or anything you know like that that's what it was so like that that must have been something i definitely would want to see uh the Pink Floyd lineup when Dark Side of the Moon came out. Yeah, good choice. Yeah. It's a very, it's a did very. They play uh, <laughs> did they play Woodstock? I don't know. Yeah, I know. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, I'm a big, I'm a big Floyd fan. Uh, I've seen like, uh, like Roger Waters and like Australian Pink Floyd, and most recently I saw Nick Mason, their drummer, with like. He has a set of hired musicians and they play all the Pink Floyd stuff that's pre-Dark Side of the Moon. So like Sid Barrett uh, levels, Sid Barrett era albums, like before he went schizophrenic and 
you know, before you left the band and, uh, I guess being able to see like that, the, the lineup that was from there in that turning point when they put out dark side of the moon would be pretty crazy. Yeah. That's that would sure. be pretty crazy. Yeah. Especially if you could find the stuff that they had back then, man. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, the next one. So if you could spend 24 hours locked in a room with any musician or performer from history, who would it be? Oh, this one's tough. 24 hours? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Damn, Nico, do you have anything? Man, I don't know. Because, like, there's, <laughs> there's so many, there's, like, there's so many levels of things. Like, do you want to be with, like, a musician where you're going to learn from them? Or do you want to like, hear, like, someone's stories? Mm. Like, there's so many different, le- like, it's hard to pick one. Because, like, man, <laughs> I would love to hear, like, you know, like, someone like Ozzy's touring stories, you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas I, w- I would not want to learn to sing from him. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so, yeah. uh, it, it depends, oh, man. I don't know. That's a, that's a good one. Uh, I, I think I would go more down the storyline though. I think I'd want to spend 24 hours with Prince. He's a very common one now. Is I he? Often, Is yeah, he? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. often hear Prince. Yeah, Prince, because he's a hell of, he was a hell of a personality and he was a hell of a performer and he was a hell of a musician. Like this guy conceived just an amazing performance and amazing music and just like he was the whole package. And just the, it, it takes a special kind of person to be the whole package like that. A lot of people are kind of just more on one side or the other. The best composers aren't always the best performers and vice versa. Um, they use very two different parts of the brain uh, in order to like engage you, you know, with whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, but Prince had both, you know, very performative, just a lot of, he had a lot of, uh, I don't even know how to say it, sass. He was a very sassy man. I feel like it would right. get awkward after a while though. Like if I had to spend like 20, like now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like what, listening to what Justin's saying. Like I might like for 24 can hours. Bring, like, can I bring a guitar and a computer? Like, yeah, see yeah. That? <laughs> you know, like, or is it just like me, him and like a book? You know, like, That'd be a long like, day. would be sick to, to be with for 24 hours, mm. you know, because like he would tell you some sick stories and you would play like, every instrument in the world in front of yeah. you and like you could jam whatever you want with them. So I think like for a 24 hour span, uh, I don't know. I, I know he's still like he's still around. So I, you could I have, have a, this opportunity. Big I have another interesting one. Yeah. Dave Grohl. Yeah. That's a great yeah, one. That's what I I said. Yeah. Dave Grohl would be one of them for, for sure. I was just thinking Frank Zappa. Right, yeah. That's another mm. one. Frank yeah. Zappa or Mike Patton. Mike Patton is that would see, but he's I, another I one. He's a little eccentric. After for twenty four hours, he would like he would start losing. Les Claypool, like these really <laughs> eccentric, weird guys. Put them all in a room together and see what happens. Actually, I'm just voting. <laughs> That'd be one hell of a party. I think I think it would just be a matter of who's going to eat the other person first. <laughs> Les yeah. Claypool, or... <laughs> see what they right. come up with. Dave rolls it. Thank you, answer, man. I don't know. I can't believe I didn't yeah. think of that. Mm. I think, uh, like, he would be definitely one that would love to rack his brain, and then, like, you could jam with him, and, like, you would just play everything. You know what I mean? Like, 
whatever. Yeah. I don't think you would get bored in 24 hours being with him, to be honest. No, like, no. But like, he seems to be, yeah, yeah, yeah. He seems to be the type of person <laughs> that there's no ego with him. So, you know, no, exactly. So down to earth. Yeah, he would tell you stories as if like you've known him forever. Like, at least that's the way he seems. Mm. He seems, uh, he seems like a very down to earth guy. So, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, he was definitely one person I would love to rack his brain and like, uh, 24 hours with him would be very interesting for sure. Definitely. Definitely. Right. The final one. Is there a song that would appear on the soundtrack to your life? Oh, man. It's all video game music, if I'm being honest. <laughs> so... The final, like the, the, the winning uh, victory song on the Final Fantasy VII. Your theme, your theme song? <laughs> like, what's your theme song type question? Is that what yeah. we're going for? Yeah. Okay. Man, it's funny seems... because the song I would pick is literally your Instagram handle, Luca. <laughs> I mean, White Walls. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. pick White Walls. Yeah, that, just the ending. I mean that that was a that's a huge track for me too. Obviously, because it's my Instagram handle. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, oh man, uh, tough one. There's some really. Yeah, like there's so many songs that have marked me. Mm. Uh, like we're a, think, we're a breed of person that we're, musicians are breeds of people that know so much music. So just like the the oxymoron to ask to ask someone who listens to so much to just scope it to one thing. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's a very difficult one. I see what you're doing. Uh, <laughs> Ah, man. I don't know if I had to like uh, like pick and not it's not like a song that I would listen to forever like the only song that I would you know what I mean like uh, mm. like if I had to pick like one like an anthem type song or whatever like only in dreams from Weezer was a huge song for me when I was a kid like when I first saw that live like during the build-up like I like I was just like, and it wasn't, it's nothing, it's nothing crazy. But like at the time I was like 12 years old and I was like, man, this is so sick. Like, uh, but I don't know, like I wouldn't even say it. Like, it's so hard because there's so many different times in your life where you've had like this anthem, this summer song. Like I, I could go back to like some songs that I just think of like, oh yeah, that's the song from like that I didn't stop listening to that summer or yeah. whatever. Like I have albums that like, uh, like last resort from Papa Roach always reminds me of high school and like getting ready for exams. Like mm. that for me, like I would pump myself up with last resort from Papa Roach. Every Are you time. serious? Like, I would be like, fuck, I'm doing an exam. I need to get ready. I'm listening to last resort from Papa Roach. Like that was like my, so like, I don't know. It, it, and like now I, I, I mean, I haven't listened to the album in years, but like, you know, I don't know. It's hard to say. Like white walls was huge for me back in the day. Imagine you pumping yourself up to last yeah, resort. Yeah. I can't <laughs> even picture. Like a 14, it 14, 15 year old. <laughs> doesn't register in my head at all. It doesn't yeah. fit. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah, it's like it's, I don't know. It's like uh, the white walls is not a good one. Then it's like because it's but yeah because so my life is there's so many. No, and you could pick out like a even a Pink Floyd song. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many. Oh, I, like, shit, I don't know, man. Right. 
but like it doesn't end that's the thing to pick one song is just impossible like man it's it's a really tough question but i, I like uh, oh man i think i'd have an incubus song that's, that's what i was thinking song. like incubus was another one for me like growing yeah. up that like uh marked me yeah, but I like put on i think i put on i don't know if i could say it like there's an anthem to my life i don't know man that's because it always it's forever changing it's break stuff my limp biscuit <laughs> Fred Durst is my Morgan Freeman narrator of my life. <laughs> oh. Every time I do something right, I just hear, yeah. I don't know, like, like, like a huge album for me is "Language from Contortionist" for sure. Like, I don't know, I, I don't even know if I could pick a song from it, but like, because the whole album is just great front to back. Hmm. But uh, like that would be one album that I would use as like an anthem wise because I listen to it so damn much. Uh, I have a counter question. Yeah. I have a counter question. Oh. What's the craziest <laughs> answer? What's the craziest answer to this question anyone's ever given you? <laughs> one person said the wheels on the bus. <laughs> the wheels oh my on God. the bus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, as a serious. Answer, I don't know. I don't know actually. So uh, there's been a couple that have got really depressing. Then there's oh. a few that have picked. The Beatles come up a lot. Uh, I've had Pink Floyd. Jimi Hendrix has been mentioned. Uh, Alan Parsons, one of his depressing songs. But uh, generally, people try to focus on say if it was their funeral what song would people play to remind, well, that's, what remind that's why i said like that's why i said only in dreams before because i was thinking like if it was my funeral like i would probably play like a song like that where it's just like you know a mm-hmm. calm but epic song or whatever yeah but uh man it's it's, uh, it's a tough question because there's like music is just so damn good like i just can't pick like whenever like someone asks like you know if you had to spend uh whatever the rest of your days on an island then you could only bring one album like mm. and i would never be able to pick that one album <laughs> can i make a mixtape like, <laughs> like mm. the tough one that, that's crazy because like I, I love so many different styles of music as well like i like rap music a lot as well Mm. I like classical music. I like jazz music. Uh, like something that kind of sums up like the pace of my life outside being in a metal band see, is more like at a hip hop pace than like a heavier song. You know what uh, I mean? So like, yeah. I, I have to think like outside of the metal community or the, the metalhead aspect of my life because I, it doesn't play as big of a part as it used to anymore. Mm. Uh, it was like my whole identity when I was like 22 years old, you know. Mm. But now being in, my, being in the 30s is, things seem to have uh, evolved, you know, as they do. I'm a big Mac Miller fan. Oh. Uh, I think I would definitely have you know, one of his more melancholy tracks that talk about how life just, goes in waves and you know yeah, goes in circles yeah. and you know definitely something that has more of like a more talks about that kind of thing i guess that would be my answer oh, good one 
good one great guys it's been an absolute blast now and it's been a long one i've uh i've enjoyed getting an insight into your music now i know the listeners are going to love it thank, thank you man thank you so much for having us it's been a while since we've done one of these so it was nice to uh Nice to talk with new people again.
Hello, Twisted Humans. Do you find yourself wanting to know more about the latest murder, conspiracy, cult, or haunting? Then this is the podcast for you. In 1952, there was a record high of UFOs reported. 1,500 sightings. There has been evidence of human sacrifice, devil worship, and it is haunted by more spirits than can be counted. A family of two adults and two kids reportedly saw a giant flying thing with glowing red eyes. And meanwhile, the family's nanny that helped Veronica to care for her and Lucian's children was found bludgeoned to death in the basement of their family home. I'm Alicia. And I'm Sierra. And this is Twisted Twisted and Uncorked. Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And if you're interested in signing up the Band Builder Academy, use the link in the show notes below and enter the code CONCERTS and you'll receive 10% off. So, until next time, keep rockin'. Hey, hey, what are you guys still doing there? The show is over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.